Welcome to the Political Notebook. I'm Billy Robb, your host. I'm a high school teacher. And I'm Robert Robb, an editorial columnist for the Arizona Republic and Billy's dad. This week on the Political Notebook, we're talking about education. <clears throat> we're talking about policy at the national level briefly, but then we're going to get into mostly Arizona policy and what can be done here for our schools. And we'll start with uh, just reflecting that we seem to be at a crossroads in America in terms of education, in terms of school choice, uh, how open are we going to be with giving public money to alternative and different types of deliveries of education. It also seems to me that we're also in a crossroads in terms of technology. How how are we going to use technology in the classroom? Or maybe how is technology going to change the way education is done. Betsy DeVos has been a very divisive choice. Uh, President Trump chose uh, Betsy DeVos to be the director of the Department of Education at the national level. And she was criticized very, very harshly, partly because, maybe, maybe mainly because of her school choice, strong school choice supporter, but it was also kind of that she wasn't herself an educator in terms of having personal experience in the in the classroom or even, even experience in the traditional um, public schools. So I want to start with just talking about the Department of Education and what it does. I, I teach I teach government, and when we're when we're teaching about federalism, state power, and and federal power, you know, any constitution worksheet is going to put operating schools on the side of on the side of the states. Um, so what, why, do we, why do we have a Department of Education and how big of an influence can and, and does a Betsy DeVos have on our schools? Uh, that's a question that conservatives have been asking, asking either, ever, ever since the Department of Education was formed in the Jimmy Carter administration. Um, and it was mostly symbolic at that point in time. Carter wanted to make a statement about the importance of education and a commitment to a federal role in it. Uh, The department runs a variety of programs, um, both uh, overseeing colleges and universities, uh, and uh, there are certain funding streams that it provides for uh, K-12 schools. Um, it It provides very little of the money uh, that operate our K through 12 schools throughout the country. As I recall, it's in single digits. The overwhelming majority of the money is generated at the state and local level. Um, but um, there are earmarked funds, uh, particularly for low-income students, and the federal government usually attaches conditions to um, the use of those funds and creates requirements for the states. Uh, George W. Bush uh, increased the federal role in education uh, through the No Child Left Behind Act. The country is sharply divided uh, on the matter of school choice. Uh, Those of us who advocate it uh, believe that it enables um, students to find the optimal learning experience uh, for uh, their own personal growth. Uh, and uh, that it equalizes opportunity on the basis of income. Those who oppose it see the traditional uh, district schools 
as a um, shared experience uh, and a common um, commitment uh, to improving all kids' education and view money that's spent on choice schools as money that is taken uh, from the traditional schools. The reality is what uh, DeVos can do mostly is advocacy. Uh, there's not much that the federal government can do to force school choice into the states, uh, but she can use it for ag- advocacy purposes. Using money for advocacy or just the, just the voice and the microphone of that office? Mostly the voice. Uh, there are some funds available, and the Obama administration actually expanded them uh, for uh, helping to fund charter schools. The the Obama administration never was willing to see additional funds go to private schools, but they did provide some additional funding for for, um, charter schools, but relatively little. Uh, This is policy that's mostly decided at the state and local level. What about regulations? Are there any specific regulations that she's supposed to carry out that maybe she wouldn't or that she could put in that would help charter schools? Well, the Obama administration provided uh, so-called guidance to universities and K through 12 schools on controversial subjects, um, such as uh, how universities had to handle allegations of sexual uh, misconduct, and for the schools, uh, how K through 12 schools had to deal with transgendered. Uh, students. Um, Those are sort of anathema to social conservatives, and DeVos has withdrawn uh, those guidelines. But with respect to the school choice issue, um, there's not a lot of power in her hands other than advocacy. Right. So let's get let's get down and talk about Arizona, and I think that's interesting because it, it seems like Arizona is often an example of problems that are are out there with with other states. Sometimes I'm reading about national education issues, and it's like in Arizona has this much. So it seems like our problems are maybe. Um, mirror some of the problems that we're seeing across across the country in some ways sometimes in some ways they're they're worse here here are some things slew of problems facing arizona education right now we have funding problems we're um one of the least funded per pupil um in the country and so that we're already underfunded and then we have a uh, a law problem uh, 301 which gives a 0.6 percent sales tax, which provides $640 million per year for schools that's expiring at the end of 2020. So our, our funding is bad and it's, um, needs to be addressed soon. We have a teacher shortage. Um, one of the, um, main critiques that, that, and, and conversations were happening is how to get more teachers in the, in the classroom, and we have um, lowered the qualification standards, which has, has been critiqued. That's not the way you get teachers in, is you can't lower the qualification standards. 
We have issues right now with our grading system. The, the Board of Education had a new grading system they were trying out this year. No one likes that. Uh, and then there's been um, some bad news stories about misallocating funds to our schools. And um, we haven't even talked about the voucher, just a kind of a laundry list of different things. So my question is, where do we start with this? What All of these things, um, do we need to fix the grading system before we do funding boost to see who gets the money? Can we do both at once? What should our priorities be here in Arizona? Why, why don't we begin with some good news? Those are a, a, an impressive laundry list of promises and challenges. Um, but the best measure of educational uh, attainment between the states is a test administered by the federal government, the uh, National Assessment of Educational Progress. And Arizona actually leads the country in gains by our students on the uh, on that particular test. Um, so despite that laundry list of problems, uh, people like yourself who are in the classroom uh, are doing a remarkable job on some of the uh, lowest funding uh, in in the country. Uh, my own view is that we begin by restoring K through 12 education to the level of funding which it received prior to the recent recession. Uh, contrary to myth, um, the legislature didn't seize upon that event to slash funding for education, and in fact did billions of things other than that, including a temporary uh, sales tax increase that the legislature referred to the voters and the voters approved, to avoid cuts. Um, but the recession lasted longer than anticipated. No, 301? Uh, no, that, that's, that goes back to the year 2000. All right. that, that was a different measure, a three-year, uh, one-cent increase in the sales tax uh, that went to general government, but mostly for education, that was proposed by Governor Brewer, referred to by the legislature, approved by voters. It was only after that three-year boost was expiring uh, that you began to see significant cuts to education in Arizona. And it's kind of clear that we're not going to grow out of that. Um, we, we're well into a recovery. We're not producing the kind of money at the state level that would uh, permit meaningful restorations. So to me, the first step is to do that. I would like to see an accountability system uh, but one that is stripped down to the true essentials, uh, one that is measuring where students are on basic uh, literacy and numeracy. Uh, those are the two keys that unlock everything else. And uh, we're a great second chance society. If people have those skills, if they decide later on in life they want to pursue education, they've got the basics that they need. Our accountability system is uh, designed to try to get all students uh, ready to go to college. Uh, I don't think that's a realistic standard, and the way that we have to measure it is all bollocked up. Uh, it needs to be plunged, and we need to start over.
I want to get back to the accountability and the testing thing in just a minute. Quick question, though, about the, about the funding. You've advocated for a, a sales tax increase. A Is consumption that- tax of some sort. It, it could be an, an increase in the existing retail sales tax. I would prefer to see a broadening of the sales tax base um, to include uh, services and even wholesale goods. So you're a conservative, but you want to increase taxes to pay for education, sales taxes? That's correct. Do you think I, I, I plead guilty. <laughs> Do you think one of the main problems with that not happening is that uh, our governor, Doug Ducey, made a promise to decrease taxes every single year? I think it is the leading obstacle uh, to doing that. Uh, now, the governor has uh, pledged short of a tax increase to try to get as much money into K through 12 education as he can. He came up with a proposal that I thought was pretty creative to um, justifiably, in my view, uh, increase the amount that's drawn from the state land trust uh, and the amount of that that goes to the schools on an annual basis. So there's actually been a fairly substantial increase. And that was Prop 123? That was Prop 123, yes. Wasn't that, wasn't that just s- selling a lawsuit that was... Like they were, schools were supposed to be given that money anyways, and that was kind of well, making that, sure they got the money they were already supposed to have. That was the claim of the schools. Uh, there wasn't ever a final adjudication that said, uh, yes, it's true. Um, right. that, that money is owed. Uh, and the first trial judge that looked at it actually said that there was no obligation on the part of the state to increase funding. But irrespective of, it was done as a lawsuit settlement, but irrespective of that, in terms of what I think should be the goal to get back to where funding was prior to the recession, that's new money that moves in that direction. Um, It, however, is um, still really, really short of achieving that. And without a tax increase, I don't believe there's any foreseeable time frame in which that will be achieved. So let's get to the accountability a little bit. I think one of my biggest frustrations as a teacher, and I think a lot of teachers probably share this frustration, is the emphasis on test scores and whether it's a a federal test or, um, you know, a state test uh, to measure accountability. And what I always ask myself is, like, how do you measure, like, how do you measure the quality of education? How do you measure learning? How do you measure, um, it seems like there's a lot of intangibles at work. And at the very simple level, you want to measure, yeah, what, what is some standard way where you can say, yes, you're, you're learning to, to read and write. And it seems to me like, how do you, I mean, I'd like to see at a measure of schools, like how, how happy are our students, like how are parents satisfied with things there? Um, are they, are the teachers happy at, at school? How much do you enjoy those? To me, you know, learning is you're trying to spark a love of learning and it should be interesting and fun. How do you, I mean, is there any room for that sort of philosophy when you're, when you have to have accountability, when public money, tax money is going towards schools, you have to measure results. 
is there any way to balance those two things? All of those things are um, extremely important and part of an overall assessment of the performance of a school. But they are intangible uh, and subjective. Uh, And I don't think you want to have a state accountability system be based on anything other than objective, quantifiable uh, data. The problem with the tests we have always used in Arizona, both the current one and the predecessor that it's been replaced, in my judgment is that it attempts to measure too much. Uh, I think I understand the frustration of those of you who are in the classroom um, and the amount of time uh, that testing takes up when you could be teaching students. Uh, But I think if we stripped it down, where we were truly measuring grade level uh, literacy and numeracy, the two keys to unlocking everything else, um, that quantifiable objective data could be published. And one of the advantages of school choice is then the schools could market themselves uh, to... uh, potential uh, students, not only on the basis of those objective tests, but all the intangibles uh, that you mentioned. And maybe technology will, I mean, Yelp and and rating systems, I'm sure there's lots of ways that that parents can look at what kind of school is this and what are, how are people feeling about going there. Another one of the issues with testing is the idea of the achievement gap um, that if you look at who's getting in our in our grading system who's getting the d's and f's who's getting the a's which really meant who's getting the higher higher test scores who's getting lower test scores it's low-income minority communities they're getting low test scores and and rich um, white neighborhoods getting high test scores how do you how would you is there anything you do to modify, I don't know, not modify a test, but how do you account for that, let's say, if you're giving money to schools on the basis of how well they do on a, on a test? Well, and I'm not in favor of tying money to these test results, which is something the governor has proposed and that I have criticized. I think you provide a level amount of funding per pupil uh, and... That money follows the student wherever the student is. Parents decide that that student should go um, and let parent choice drive where the money goes, not the state test. But there are two things that you want to know, I think, from the kind of stripped-down accountability testing that I advocate. You want to know where students stand, what percentage of them meet the state standard. But you also want to know the gains that the students make over the course of the year. Um, The former will, at present, uh, advantage um, high-income suburban schools. Uh, But it ought not to disadvantage the the second one, uh, yearly gain, shouldn't disadvantage the uh, low-income inner-city schools. I, the problem I think the current grading system 
has, and it tries to blend those two. And I don't think you can come up with any fair blending or balance. Where They're you, two very different things. Where you measure both of those and try to put it under one letter grade. That, that is right. what the current system tries to do, and I think that's its fundamental failure. I think you just you publish both of them separately, and you allow parents to make the judgments that they want on the basis of that information. Yeah, and I think one of the um, maybe an indirect or a consequence of focusing so much on the on the test scores, and you're you're looking at how to raise. Everyone's talking about an education world. How do you how do you close the achievement gap? Which means how do you get kids in the low income neighborhoods scoring the same or close to the same as as rich kids in white neighborhoods? And I get frustrated with that because there's so there's so much um, there's so much going on in in their lives that are different and. There are circumstances that I think affect test scores. You know, asking questions like, did this person eat a meal yesterday? This person sleep yesterday? Um, and do they have their physical and emotional needs met on a daily basis? And I think sometimes the uh, in, a, in an urgency to get those test scores up and to have, you know, no, no nonsense and... Um, strict uh schedules and more more minutes in the in the day for for the core the core subjects you almost kind of like forget that focusing on the on the emotional needs and the and the belonging and, and feeling of safety focusing on those first that can have you know the side effect of increasing your learning you know if you're not if you don't feel safe and and you're and you're hungry and um that can that can affect test scores. So I sometimes I wonder, like, man, the priority. Like, talking about test scores, we can talk about these other things, and it'll have the side effect. I think of increasing test scores. Well, I I would you deal with uh, those students on a daily basis, and I would defer to your experience and and observations and judgments about the things that will lead to a reduction in the achievement gap. But I don't think we want to lose our focus and emphasis on that as the end goal because our promise, the American promise of an equal opportunity society is made real by public education uh, more than anything else we do. Uh, and however we achieve it, uh, we need to reduce the achievement gap. And I think focusing on the keys to unlocking all other learning, uh, literacy, numeracy, stripping down the uh, testing so it doesn't take as much time, uh, and uh, freeing teachers to figure out how do we close this. There was a study... Um, several several years ago now, uh, called Beating the Odds, uh, in which a couple of local think tanks um, identified uh, low-income uh, district, and I forget whether they included charter schools or not, uh, that uh, had largely closed the achievement gap, and looked at what they did uh, to see, are there some things in common? Uh, I think 
that was an extremely valuable uh, study. And as I said at the beginning of the conversation, uh, the evidence is uh, that that is happening in Arizona. Uh, we our, our gains aren't just at the suburban level. We're, our gains are in our minority communities. Our gains are in our low-income communities. Uh, we're uh, doing better than other states in making progress. I think it would help if we had different tools to help the schools where it ultimately, in the classrooms where it ultimately has to occur, um, and uh, gave them greater freedom to figure out how to achieve that. And that's a that's a that's a great point about you know, even if other obstacles exist. I mean, the goal is to get to to close that to close that achievement gap. Um, and maybe my my deeper issue is just with. Uh, the measurement itself, and and I, I just think, um, and just to make a last point, uh, or leaving a last note, we'll have to we even talk about the school choice debate uh, in terms of its philosophy or the voucher program. But I'm sure we'll have, I'm sure that'll be in the news maybe in the next few months. <laughs> um, it will be <laughs> one way or the other. Um, but just to end on, uh, I mean, the tech. Our world is changing so fast, and it seems like the most valuable skill, you know, is, is creativity and not and not knowing what jobs might be out there, and um, you know, in, innovation. How, how do we how do we get that? And um, and uh, so, so to me, that like having having the I know that we need to close the achievement gap. I know we need a, a way to measure um, things that at the basic level. Uh, that's there. Um, it seems like innovation and um, you know more more soft skills and intangible things to me are um, the, you know the future of, of education. Um, and maybe that leads to like maybe that points in the direction of we need more innovation in the way we operate our schools and, and we you know school choice. But we'll talk about school choice as a philosophy. Um, and the pragmatics of, of that and the voucher program on a future episode. I want to leave our listeners with a quiz, a quiz question. My dad went to Occidental College. I'm not going to ask him when, what year he graduated. <laughs> a long time ago. Um, but quiz question, what famous politician also went to Occidental College? There's actually two a, answers to there this. There is. I was thinking of uh, our recent president, Obama. And uh, Jack Kemp, a um, prominent uh, conservative politician of my day. Did you ever get to interview Obama? I never interviewed Obama. I got to know Jack Kemp and uh, got to know him pretty well and admire him greatly. Well, thanks, thanks for listening. And uh, I've gotten a few messages, and I love getting feedback. Um, what'd you like? What'd you not like? Uh, shoot me a uh, message on Twitter, BillyRob33, uh, or on email, uh, RobPodcast, that's R-O-B-B podcast, at gmail.com. Um, love to answer your questions or um, have any feedback that you, that you have for us. You can find us on SoundCloud or Apple, uh, iTunes Store for the podcast, 
uh, on Google Play Music. And we're also now on Stitcher, which is another app. And if you search for us, you can find us on, hopefully, the, the podcast app you use. Thanks.